Praise the Lord and good evening, folks. Last week, we wrapped up on chapter 8 on the love of God, how strong it is, and how nothing can separate us from his love. And we looked at 17 forces that can salvage a relationship, um, but can't stand in the middle of our relationship with God. You know, they are, you know you, your relationship with fellow humans will be tested. There are, there are many things that can happen that can test human relations between one another. Sometimes distance. There's a popular saying, out of sight, out of mind. And sometimes just distance, you know. Travel to another country. Like, I have migrated and moved to another country. Honestly, there are some friends I've never heard from them again. I've also not contacted them. It's not because something bad happened. Just distance, you know, like distance like wow we, we were close when we're in one locale one proximity one but you know distance so so there are many forces that can salvage a relationship we looked at 17 of them but the bible lets us know that none of these forces can separate us from including death no matter how close a married couple is once death comes that's it so death has to pass so when you're at the marriage altar when you're reciting your uh, wedding vows or marriage renewal vows or whatever. The only thing that can come in between that union is death. But God's love is stronger than that of a marginal. He says that even death will never be able to separate us, to not separate the relationship, not come in the middle between you and me, the love that I have for you. So I think that's very powerful. And just like Shaquana said, we have to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Amen. Uh, two truths that we took home that we should all remember. God is for me because of his love. Always try and say, God is not against you. God is for you because of his love. Number two, God gives because of his love. So don't feel afraid to ask God for a request. He gives because of his love. He is for you. Because of itself. I think when we are able to have these two truths really ingrained and established in our hearts, uh, that will help greatly in our work with God. Amen. Today and the next two weeks, our chapters in this book will focus on Israel. Uh, we have to have a biblical perspective on Israel, then letting our biases and opinions inform us on that. Uh, sometimes traditional views like Zionism, you know, or Judaism mixed with the Bible <laughs> hasn't also helped us at all, you know. What, what, what is Zionism? Z- um, how do I even define How do I even define that? Z- Zionism is believing in the privileges that rights afforded the nation of Israel. That, that's basically Zionism. So, when you're in the news and when you hear the word, because sometimes... When you look at the political climate and all that has been reported on news channels, you know, that word seems to come up. And it's just talking about the privileges and the rights afforded the nation of Israel. We deserve to have our land. We deserve to have our peace. We don't have to share it with Palestine or all that sort of thing, you know. But you know what? Zionism is also a denomination. And that's quite different. You know, so they also have a Zionist um, denomination and they are Zionist churches 
and sometimes the definition for zionist churches are normally not correct because they will say any church that tends to incorporate traditional african beliefs is a zionist church which is wrong because when you talk about the sacrifice of animals it didn't start from africa it started from israel <laughs> amen so things like that sacrifices altars and things like that. it's a zionist church it's a jewish thing you know it's a, it's a jewish thing and there are there are many churches like that they tend to believe strongly in the old testament than in the new testament sometimes most zionists believe that the new testament is a distorted view of the old testament which is not really so amen so views like this sometimes it doesn't really help in helping us get a holistic picture of israel you understand and then things like even judaism when they come into play you know judaism just believes in god you know they believe in god the father they don't believe that god came in the form of a human for a, Ju- a judaist that's blasphemy and even john even addressed that if you read um second john not third john second john second john has one chapter the bible lets us know that if you deny that christ came in the flesh if you deny that you are an antichrist so christ really came in the flesh. and there are many scriptures that uh, judaism they don't believe in that they believe in the prophets they believe in the law uh and that's it but but to tell them that jesus who came in the form of man is god uh a, a judaism will fight with you so sometimes all these views mixed with our personal prejudices and biases does not really help us to really have a biblical perspective of the nation of israel and like i said earlier sometimes if you look at the political climate i don't know how many of you follow the middle east tension but it becomes so difficult to sometimes separate the political stuff from what the bible truly teaches on israel quite honestly it's a very very difficult thing amen but uh, if we read the bible on this nation god is more interested in the salvation or the soul of this nation than any other thing that is what takes precedence in the sight of god and i'm glad that over the next three weeks starting from today uh, the three chapters that we will be addressing on the book of romans will readdress that i hope it will inform us properly and from a biblical perspective Israel and perhaps even their role in biblical prophecy as it comes to the end times. Amen. So I'm excited about tonight. So with that said, let's get into the scriptures tonight. So we are reading um, Romans chapter 9 right now. And let me start verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bury me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, verse 5, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. So let's stop here for now. So now you will see Paul's heart here. Paul is a patriot. He's a patriotic guy. Why do I say that? Because he was more concerned about the salvation of his countrymen 
Now, let me read verses 2 to 3 to you in another version called New Living Translation. And I think this version captures Paul's heart succinctly. Verse 2 to 3, New Living Translation. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to forever be cursed, cut off from Christ, if that will save them. You see the heart he has? He is even willing to sort of become like Jesus. He wants to take on the punishment of Israel so that Israel can be saved. If it's possible that if I'm cursed, that it will warrant the salvation of my countrymen in Jewish brothers and sisters, I am prepared to do that. So Paul really had a heavy heart for his country. And what I've learned from these five verses is that every Christian has to have a heart for his country. You will have to pray for your country. Being, being patriotic, in as much as it is extolled as, you know, a virtue of politics, I think it's also a spiritual thing. You have to love where you are. Because when you love where you are, you will pray. You will intercede. The Bible implores us to intercede for the place where we are and seek for the prosperity of the land we dwell in. You know, and, and one aspect of prosperity is the salvation of people's souls. That is also prosperity. Okay, so we all have to come to that place. Paul was not concerned about the economic status, the political climate of Israel. Look, when Paul was writing this, at that time, Israel was under Roman captivity. So th there were many pressing issues he could have addressed. He could have addressed the freedom of Israel under Roman captivity. Uh, slavery was a very huge uh, problem during those days. He could have addressed all those. My, my countrymen are being forcibly made into slaves to serve the Roman Empire. He could have talked about all these things. But the predominance, and I'm sure Paul thought about it. I'm very sure. He could have. But that wasn't his predominant thoughts. His predominant thoughts was they will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. That, that was his um, um, predominant thought. And, you know, when Paul talked about Israel, he acknowledged some things about Israel. He acknowledged six things that came out of Israel and why he wanted Israel to receive the gospel of Christ or come to the saving knowledge of Christ. He talked about it's out of Israel that came the concept adoption. Why are all of us called the adopted sons of God? It started with Israel. Israel was the first nation that after Adam, God said, you are my firstborn son. After Adam, the next batch of people God called my, my, my children was Israel. So that is where the concept of adoption came from. And that concept is mirrored in the New Testament. The Bible lets us know that we've been adopted as sons. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of adoption in us, that gives us the edge to cry to God, Abba Father. Not Abba Creator, but Abba Father. You see, so the New Testament concept of sonship started with Israel. He talks about the glory. You know, Israel was the first group of people who saw the glory of God. And today, we also see the glory of God. He talks about the covenants. Out of the nation Israel were covenants. And covenants have really, it's really, um, um, what word do I want to use? 
it, it has really determined the stratosphere of our Christian faith. The covenants, the old covenant, new covenant. Old Testament, new testament. The covenant of the law, the covenant of grace. So out of the nation Israel came covenants. Out of the nation Israel came the giving of the law. The law was given to them, it's in record, it's on record, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 20. The service of God. When it talked about service, the Levites, a nation out of Israel, a tribe was chosen called the Levites. They were the ones chosen to be of service to God, how to serve God in the tabernacle. And they, out, of, out of this tribe, we be, now begin to understand what it means to worship God through sacrifices and tithes and offerings and different kinds of things. All those things were from the nation Israel and then the promises. Now, when I was talking about the promises here, it's not being vague, okay? Because there are some things that are promises, like Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment shall condemn. That's a promise. But that's not the promise it's talking about. It's talking about the promise that the Bible says, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. So when it's talking about the promise here, it's talking about the Jews, they received the promise that one day, God was going to come in the flesh, and his name is Jesus. He's going to die for the sins of the world, and through him we can experience salvation. So that's the promise he's talking about. So, yeah, Romans chapter 9, verse 4. Very good. So, Paul enumerated all these facts. And for this reason... He wanted Israel to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And when Paul was writing this, at that time, Israel hadn't come to the knowledge of Christ. And as we read further, we will understand. So let's continue. So all these things that came from Israel, they formed the bane of Christianity. So now let's continue and we will understand. So verse 6 to verse 11. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are all not Israel, who are of Israel, nor they are all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when... Rebekah had conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, not having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. So, why did Paul quote this? Paul is talking about the current state of Israel. And if you look at the climate of Israel, Israel, they were very impervious to the gospel. They didn't believe that you will have to receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and personal Savior, and you are made righteous. They boasted on their ancestry. They boasted on their lineage. And they believed that it is by observing righteousness through the works of the law that one becomes justified. And as we've read the scriptures right up to chapter 9, I believe now if you have been consistent here during our teachings, you may have gotten a handle of that now. So now... Paul wanted the people to know that what we are even boasting in is not security. Because when you look at the Israelites, even though they came from Abraham, it is not necessarily the seed of Abraham that became known as the children of promise. It was Isaac 
Why do I say that? Turn with me to Genesis. Let me show you the scripture. Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, verse 1 to 2. Abraham again took a wife and her name was Keturah. So Abraham, you know, if you read the story carefully, Sarah is dead. So between Abraham and Sarah, they had just one child. That was Isaac. Okay. Now, when Abraham took another wife, his wife's name was called Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Median, Ishbak, and Shua. So he gave birth to more children. So one, two, three, four, five, six. So Abraham gave birth to six more children. So Abraham and all had eight children. He had one with Hagar, his house help. One with Sarah, and then six with a woman called Keturah. Now, Apostle Paul is saying that the children of Abraham, who claim to be of the commonwealth of Israel, not all of you are children of God. And why did Paul say that? Paul said that by quoting Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. And when you read Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, God spoke to Abraham that it is in your seed, Isaac, that the nation shall be formed. And that true, that, that is the lineage that will be known as the children of promise. So even Paul is trying to let them know that if you are just going to boast on your lineage that you are an Israelite, you could miss the mark. What about if you trace your ancestry, you are not from the seed of Isaac? Because it's not just belonging to Abraham that makes you a children of promise. It's not belonging to Abraham that makes you a commonwealth of the son of Israel. That, that means that you are a child of God. But it is people who came from the seed of Isaac who are also related to Abraham that are children of God. Do you understand? So now, Abraham has eight children. Do you understand? So if you, if you come from any of the seven children of Abraham, you are not a child of promise. The child of promise is only for Isaac. But because he is the son of Abraham, when you belong to Abraham, do you, you understand? So that, that promise, that exclusivity of promise that God had promised the nation Israel, it was for those who came under the lineage of Isaac. Am I, am I making myself very clear? Do, do we all understand? Is it clear? Now, Paul said something very interesting. He now goes on to talk about the doctrine of election here. And it's very important for us to understand the doctrine of election. You know, the doctrine of election has become a very popular concept in the Reformation circles. And it's normally known as a Calvinist because John Calvin was a Calvinist. Amen. And uh, the doctrine of election, how the Calvinist people put it that God has chosen certain people who are supposed to be saved. And they normally base these Old Testament scriptures. But when we read the scripture in context, let's try and understand the doctrine of election practically. 
Now, the Bible lets us know that the doctrine of election came into being because God chooses as he wills. Especially when it came to Jacob and Esau. The, the, the Bible lets us know that these children had not done evil or good. They were in the womb. But God chose Jacob. And why did he choose Jacob? He chose Jacob not because one was bad or one was good. He chose them that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him who calls. So this lets me know that election is a foreshadow of salvation. It's just like salvation. Why do we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior? Is it because of good or evil? No. It is because God calls us and we responded. Amen. So in the nutshell, Paul is talking about if you boast in your earthly lineage as an Israelite, you will not be saved. Because under the seed of Abraham, under the seed of Abraham it's just one out of the eight children that were called the children of promise. So anybody who comes from the lineage of Isaac, they are normally called, they are called the children of promise. So Paul is actually giving them a shocker. It's not just because you are a seed of Abraham, that is why you are justified. Even if it comes to the practical terms, it is only one child out of eight children that were known as the children of promise or were known as the children of God. And that's Isaac. So if you come from the lineage of Isaac, you are a child of promise. But now, there is also another dicey term. It's not just coming from the, child, the, the lineage of Isaac that makes you justified. Isaac gave birth to two children and one out of the two was not accepted. So it's not just coming out of the lineage of Isaac that makes you justified. It is also coming out of the lineage of Jacob that makes you justified. So do you see why Paul is so obsessed and so passionate about the people understanding that you don't have to be a seed of Abraham per se to receive salvation. All you have to do is receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because if you are going to boast on your Israel lineage, I'm a seed of Abraham, I'm a seed of Isaac, you will miss it. Amen. And now with that in mind, let's read verse 12 to 13. It was said to her, who is the her here? Rebecca. The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, the, pres- the preference of Jacob over es- Esau was according to election. And what is the purpose of election? It is not of works, but of him who calls. It's not because God hated Esau and God loved Jacob. It's, it's because of the purpose of election. Are, are you understanding me? And now, Paul is going to build a case here in the subsequent verses. So, let us follow. What shall we say then? So, now, Paul is saying that with what God has done, Choosing Jacob um, over Esau. Choosing one son of Abraham out of eight children of Abraham. Is there unrighteousness with God? Paul answers this, certainly not. So 
Why did God do this? Did God did this because he's unrighteous? Because it's unrighteous. When you look at it at face value, I would say it's unrighteous. But Paul is saying, certainly not. And do you know why? He's going to explain why. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lamb to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. So now, Paul explains that there is no unrighteousness in God for preferring one over the other. Certainly not. He then quoted what God said to Moses in Exodus 33 verse 19, that he will show mercy to whom he will show mercy to, and to whoever he will, he will show compassion to. So does God discriminate in showing mercy and compassion? No. Follow, follow, follow the story very carefully. Then Paul went ahead to talk about Pharaoh whose heart was hardened and quoted Exodus 9.17. Because Paul really knew his Bible. So everything that he is saying, he's not speaking out of everyone's majesty. He's quoting scriptures. So Paul then poses a question. Why does God still find fault? Well, this is Paul just talking. Because he is talking to his audience. So he said, in case I'm giving you this, a question may come. Why does God still find fault? Well, because if this is the case, why will he say, I will harden Pharaoh's heart? Then Paul used the analogy of a potter and a clay. It's up to the potter's volition to mold the clay and which he will use for honor and some for dishonor. And he says that you are a created thing. You can't ask God, why have you formed me like this? So now, Paul is not saying that that's how God is. Are you understanding? Paul is just using the analogy to talk about created beings. Our will is in the hands of the master. So now, what is God's will for humanity if that is the case what is god's will for humanity because paul is saying that created things our will is subjected unto the will of our master so you can't ask god why have you made some a vessel of honor some a vessel of this man you can't ask me that because god is like the potter and he forms the clay according to his own volition some for honor some for dishonor now does this scripture means that God has chosen some to be sons of perdition and some sons of God? No. I answer that emphatically. And by the end of this teaching, we will know why. So, Paul answers the question of why Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Why was Pharaoh's heart hardened? Was Pharaoh's heart hardened because God is unrighteous? Was Pharaoh's heart hardened because God was prejudicial? Let's read verse 22 to verse 24 for the answer. What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known 
endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So, right in this scripture, we see why Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh's heart was hardened not because God chose him to be a vessel of dishonor. Pharaoh's heart was hardened because God had endured with much long-suffering and Pharaoh had become a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction. Do you understand? So, Pharaoh's heart was hardened not because God made it so. Pharaoh's heart was hardened because God had endured with much long-suffering and he wasn't changing. And the Bible lets us know that the wages of sin is death. So Pharaoh stored up for himself the wrath of God, which was destined for destruction. And what is God's heart? God's heart is none should perish. At the end, he's also a judge who will reward us according to our works. So God is being just. Are you understanding me? On the other hand, God chose to make known the riches of his glory. To who? The Jews. Now, when we are talking about the Jews, we are not separating it. We are talking about the Jew as in a Jew. The Jews. And to who? The Gentiles. Which makes up the whole world. So in the Bible, when it's talking about Jews and Gentiles, it's talking about two kinds of people that represent the whole world. So God chose to make known the riches of his glory to the whole world. We are the vessels of mercy. So in this present world we are currently living in, all of us are vessels of mercy. All of us. Why do I say that? Because we are vessels of mercy because God prepared beforehand for glory that he will show to the whole world the riches of his glory. And the Gentiles, we were also included. So the present world we currently live in, there is no vessel of wrath. All of us are vessels of mercy. When you don't receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, on the day of reckoning, you will be a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction. But for now, this current state that we are in, the atheist, the homosexual, the transgender, the universalist, um, the interfaith believer, the Muslim, everybody, the Judaist, the Zionist, we are all vessels of mercy that God will show forth the riches of his glory. And, and when did God decide to do this? Beforehand. So do you understand the doctrine of election? The doctrine of election is all of us have been chosen to become vessels of mercy. And we have been chosen to become vessels of mercy because God prepared beforehand that he will show the riches of his glory. So when we are talking about salvation, Paul is now talking about the issue of salvation. Salvation is not exclusive. Salvation is inclusive. It's for all. It's a universal thing. 
So today, in this present stage we are living in, in this world that we are living in, we don't have anybody here who is a vessel of wrath. All of us are vessels of mercy. All of us are vessels of mercy. Now, at the end of the age, anybody who hasn't received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior will be a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction. Do you understand? So now, Paul is going to strengthen his case on this, that all of us are vessels of mercy by quoting two books in Hosea and Isaiah. So in the next four verses, we are going to read the two books of Hosea and Isaiah. So Paul is quoting from the book of Isaiah, and then we'll see him quoting from the book of Isaiah. So let's read verse 25 to verse 29. As he says also in Hosea, I'll call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not my beloved. This is the Gentiles. They were not part of the commonwealth of Israel. Not part of the commonwealth of Israel. A Gentile is a non-Jew. They didn't even count at all. God spoke to Isaiah that a time is coming, I will call them my people. Who were not my people. And they will also be known as my beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They shall be called the sons of the living God. Now, Apostle Paul is making us known that when did this inception take place? Beforehand for glory. That the doctrine of election. So God made all of us vessels of mercy so that he will show forth the riches of his glory so that when Christ dies for us, we too, who may not have any earthly privileges, we have every right to receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. I think that is good news. This shows to us the love of God. Now, verse 27. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of children be as the sand of the sea, the remnant shall be saved. You see, so Paul was using a scripture here about them under captivity of the Assyrians, right? So he picked this verse to elaborate his point that even though the Israelites who claim to be justified through the righteousness um, um, of the works of the law, even though they boast in their lineage as being children of Abraham, they belong to the commonwealth of Israel, I'm still interested in those people. And a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. And the seed here is referring to Isaac. See, it's through Isaac that the generation was preserved. It's through Isaac that anybody that came from that lineage was called the chosen one or the children of God or the children of promise. And it's out of that that came Jesus. So Abraham had eight children. None of them were the children of promise. It was only one out of eight that was the child of promise. And through his lineage, anybody who comes from there is considered the child of God. But at the end of it, God had a better plan for all of us. He, if God wanted to show the Israelites that don't boast in your lineage. 
Because what about if you came from the tribe of Abraham? Truly. But you are not from the lineage of Isaac. Okay, let's say you are from the lineage of Isaac. When we look down, out of the lineage of Isaac, there was a divide. What about if you come from Esau's lineage and not Jacob's lineage? So it's not a fair share. But Christ, God beforehand had prepared that his riches of glory will be shown to the whole world, to all the Jews, irrespective of whether you are of Isaac's lineage or Jacob's lineage, irrespective of you are a Jew or a non-Jew, that the riches of his glory will be shown. And when the riches of his glory is shown, the Bible lets us know that we who were not called children of God, we shall be called children of God. We who who were not beloved, we will be called beloved. And it will come to a place that we who people look down upon us, especially the Jews, they will not look down upon us because the doctrine of election is in full force. So when we talk about the doctrine of election, we don't subscribe to the Calvinist way. The Calvinist way believes that some go to hell because God has made it so. Some go to heaven because God has made it so. Because if you are going to make it like that, then there's no point preaching the gospel. There's no point preaching the gospel. Because right here, the Bible lets us know that God has made us vessels of mercy. And because he's made us vessels of mercy, he has shown forth the riches of his glory. So these scriptures go ahead to show us that God had prepared way before ahead that the whole world will be elected and we will all become heirs of salvation. The thing is that when you are an heir, you haven't inherited. You have to inherit it. Amen. And that is why we have been elected to respond to the call of God. We are vessels of honor. We are vessels of mercy. There is no vessel of wrath on this earth today. That is why when you read First Peter chapter 2, the Bible says that God doesn't want anybody to perish. Not his will. So if God truly practiced the doctrine of election like Jacob I love, Esau I hate, that would not be consistent with everything we have read about God in the New Testament and even what we have read in the preceding chapters of Romans. So let's wrap up tonight's teaching with the last four verses. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And there's my favorite one. And whoever, can that, whoever believes on him will not be put to sin. So now, since we have established the fact that we are vessels of mercy to whom God has shown the riches of his glory, and we have been elected, it is still up to us to respond to the call of God. Do you, do you understand? It's up to us. So it, it, it's, it's not just God calls you, but you also have to, like what, the, the, what Paul said, seek it by faith. You have to respond to the call by believing in the stumbling rock 
the stumbling stone and the rock of offense. Who is Jesus? You believe in him. The Bible says you will not be put to shame. So we respond by seeking in faith, not through the works of the law. So Apostle Paul, the whole nutshell of everything that he's saying is that don't boast in your lineage, Israel. It's even shaky. And even, let me even explain your, your lineage to you very well. Yes, you said you're a seed of Abraham. But are you aware that out of the eight children, only one child is a child of promise? So you can't boast in your lineage. And even if you boast in your lineage that, okay, I am from the child of promise. Let's dig down. Do you know that out of Isaac's two children, only one was a child of promise? The Lord said that Jacob I love, Esau I hate. So what about if you come from the side of Esau? Then you are not truly a child of the promise. So boasting about your Israel lineage is not good enough. Boasting about your Zionist or Judaism lineage is not good enough. That is not going to warrant you salvation. That is not going to warrant you justification because it is not of him that wills or runs, but it is God that shows mercy. And who has God shown mercy to? The whole world. The whole world. And that is why at the end of the the chapter, it says that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever. It's a blank check. So the gospel is not an exclusive thing just for the Jews. The gospel is for everybody. So when we read the scripture, you can't really elevate Israel above US, Israel above Ghana, Israel above UK, Israel above Palestine. Let me even mention that. We are all one in Christ. All of us are vessels of mercy. But we will have to respond to the call of God by seeking God by faith. You see, God has called us, but we will have to respond. God has called the Israelites, but they are not responding. They are looking at righteousness through the works of the law, which will not make them become justified. But the Bible lets us know that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness. How did they attain righteousness? They believed in Christ, who is the Son of God. And like we have been doing in our book of John series, the Jews struggled to receive Jesus. He became a stumbling stone and a rock of offense because they looked at his earthly visage. That's why they couldn't receive him. So tonight, what we have learned is that it is not of him who runs or wills. It's God that shows mercy. Salvation is a free gift. The doctrine of election is not for a selected few. The doctrine of election is for everybody. God has elected everybody to become a vessel of mercy to whom he has shown the riches of his glory. But it is up to you to respond to the call by believing in Christ. And when you believe in him, you will not be put to shame. And then truly, you will be known as an heir of salvation. So we respond to the call by believing in Christ, who is also known here as a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And the Bible says, if we receive him, we will not be put to sin. So today's teaching discounts all Zionist Judaism theory and the doctrine of election explained well in context. Amen. So don't let anybody deceive you with God has already 
selected the people who will go to heaven. That's not true. It's true if you read it halfway, but read the whole chapter. Are you understanding me? The Bible lets us know who are the vessels of mercy. The vessels of mercy is to the Jews and to the Gentiles. See, this time, see even, uh, um, Paul did not even discriminate between the children of Abraham or the children of Christ. See, Jew. Everybody. And then the Gentile. Everybody. All of us are now vessels of mercy. But at the end of this age, when God comes as a judge, anybody who hasn't received Christ will be put to shame. And when you are put to shame, you will be the vessel of wrath prepared for destruction. But as we are sitting here currently today, August 18th, 2021, nobody on this world is a vessel of wrath. We are all vessels of mercy. And we have to respond to the call of God. Now, next week, we will see how people should respond to the call of God. And they respond to the call of God by preaching. That's why it's important to preach the word. Because when you preach the word and when people receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, they are responding to the call of God. That's why when we come there, we will come to a popular verse. How will they receive the gospel if nobody preaches it to them? Everybody is called. Everybody is a vessel of mercy. But the gospel needs to be noised abroad. Our voices need to be resonated loud with the gospel so that people who are truly called will embrace the call and will receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. So now when we are talking about the doctrine of election, don't be quoting, Jacob I love, Esau I hate. The reason why that had to happen was a shadow of salvation. God was trying to paint that picture that you can only merit salvation because of my love. You can't do it by your works. Nothing of that sort. I choose whom I choose. And do you know that this is the reason why God chose you? He chose you because he chooses who he chooses. And he has chosen, he has chosen everybody. But we all have to respond to the call of God. So God is interested in the whole world being saved particularly Israel. So God's agenda is not just for Israel, it's for the whole world, that everybody will be saved. Amen. Questions and contributions, I'm done for tonight. Okay. It's recorded. Questions and contributions. I'm done tonight.
the promise in that verse, exactly what is it? Verse 4. We can yeah. read it again. Romans chapter 9, verse 4. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the abduction, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the Lord, the service of God, and the promises? Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternity blessed of God? So the, the, pro, the promise there is talking about Christ, who come and dwell. That's, 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 yeah. what, I, that's yeah. what I wanted, yeah. yeah. That's what I thought, but I, I yeah. wanted to make sure that that's yeah. what you were also saying. Yeah. So that, that promise was given to Israel that Christ is going to come. Emmanuel, he will die for the sins of the world. Blah, blah, blah. So that's it. Okay. Thank you. So do you understand today's lesson? Thumbs up, everybody. If not, if you yeah. have a question, you can ask. Okay, so the rest, what don't you understand? Oh, feel free to ask a question. Yes, we are here to understand. That's the main purpose. I understood, but I want to read the the um. I want to read Romans nine to read the whole chapter to understand more. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, that was fair. I also said the same thing. Okay. <laughs> I need to read it again by myself. Yeah. All right. But uh, okay. So uh, another thing. It just caught my eye when we were reading um, verse 6. It says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. So the part that is really catching my attention is the, the for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Yeah. So did, so then is, did, all of the nation of Israel assumed that they were all Israelites, meaning that they were not all really Israelites. Is that what it is saying? Yeah. And Paul had to break it down to them because this was not common knowledge to the Jewish nation. Paul right. once formally was a Pharisee. He was lettered in the law. Most Pharisees who were teachers of the law this is not a strange phenomenon. It will be a strange phenomenon to the Jewish audience or to the casual Jewish audience, but not to the teachers of the law. They knew this. And the reason why Paul had to say this is, don't rest on your lineage thinking you are good with God. Don't rest on your lineage. Something better has been formed. The Bible lets us know that we are all vessels of mercy because God beforehand demonstrated to us the riches of his glory. 
that whoever believes in Christ will not be put to shame. That is what you should rest in. Don't rest in your lineage that I'm a Jew, I'm from the nation of Israel, I'm a child of promise, because not all who are Israel are of Israel. Paul had to give them that blow. He had to just punch that hose in their fury for them to know, look, resting in your lineage and believing that you will be justified through the works of the law by which you will be made righteous is null and void. You will have to believe in Christ as your Lord and person. And you people don't like Christ. And God prophesied about you guys that he will lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. But he is still the one. If you believe in him, you will not be put to shame. Don't rely on this. And that's what made Paul go into the nitty gritties of all this to talk about the doctrine of election. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. I, I just, I really like that only because um, even as uh, believers now, right, we are considered Gentiles, but we, uh, because we believe in Christ, the same promises are also ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are also heirs uh, to the throne of Christ. And so what I'm also taking away from just that little portion and from what you are also saying is that we should also not lean on people around us to keep us saved. It is us believing in Christ and our relationship with Christ and us believing that we are righteous and that we are vessels of mercy. And God is not angry with us, and he will continue to work that uh, work in us to bring us to salvation. That is why I think my brain just kept going there. So, Okay, that's good. So when it comes to the doctrine of election, try and remember this. Nobody on this earth presently is a vessel of wrath. Nobody. We are all vessels of mercy. And I think next week, Romans chapter 10, will explain that very well. Amen. And the doctrine of election is in full force because we've been elected to become children of God. But respond by believing in Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and you'll not be put to shame. Why don't we thank God? God loves us so much. Can can you feel God's heart and love for humanity? Look at everything that he's done. He really loves us. We are vessels of mercy. Let's begin to pray and thank God. Let's thank God tonight. Father, thank you. We give you praise. We thank you for tonight. We thank you that we've learned of this and we know such love you have for us. We give you all glory. We give you all praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that you came to put an end to the schism and the exclusivity. We give you praise. Santoni Madora, Bakalano, Michiantani Madoka. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Shabakanta de Brosi, Antoni Moke, and Arababa. We thank you for such love you have for us, O Lord. Thank you that we are candidates of the doctrine of election. Father, beforehand, for your glory, You made known the riches of your glory to us who are your vessels of mercy. We give you praise, O Lord. And Father, we pray that with this message we have heard, 
may we sound abroad the message to all that you are calling indeed you are calling all people to come to the saving knowledge of your grace in jesus name amen all right before i end i want us to pray for felicia it was her birthday amen uh, god has added another year to her year so we want to pray for her and wish her every blessing father we pray for felicia we bless you, O Lord, for adding another year to her years. Thank you for everything that you will perfect concerning her life. We pray the blessing of health. We pray the, we pray the blessing of strength. We pray the blessing of prosperity. We pray the blessing of peace all around her. We pray that, Father, as she has entered this new season of her life, may every prophetic word of promise spoken over her May it come to pass in the name of Jesus. I thank you that may she live longer to see your days. And we thank you that you will grant her joy in her heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. May the peace of God be with you. Enjoy the rest of your week. And have thank a happy you. weekend in advance. God bless you. Good night, guys. Good night.